92% of households that join Peloton early in the year are still active a year later. Yeah, if you like cycling to EDM. Not just EDM. Try cycling to Broadway hits, take a scenic hike in Iceland on our treadmill, or row to some 80s jams. Because I have so much free time. Whether you have 30 minutes or just five, Peloton can fit any schedule. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton tread, row, or bikes risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. be great if there was a statistic that just sort of measured whether someone was worthy of going into the hall of fame uh, either joking about like i expected it to be you know leafed in gold or um you know why is the dbwa still using windows 95 you know count up all the people that jonah carey has taken to lunch in the last three years and <laughs> and persuaded them to vote for reigns like and welcome to artificial turf wars episode number 41 where all of our ballots are pre-printed with tim reigns checked off i'm your host greg wisniewski and i am joined by josh Housem. hello josh Hello. On this, our Hall of Fame Spectacular. Woo! Yeah, there you go. Listen to the crowd back there, man. Yeah, yeah that's... go guys! <laughs> Hall of Fame! Woo! Uh, oh yeah, really like this one. I hope we all get to go to the Hall of Fame! Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what we're doing. But before we get to the Hall of Fame, because it's a big episode, we have three different guests. We have Jay Jaffe, we have Sam Mellinger, and we have Ben Lindbergh, um, one of whom talks about the Hall of Fame every year, uh, one of whom has voted for the very first time as a, a Hall of Fame BBWAA member, and one of whom uh, looked into the sudden resurgence of Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens on the ballot. Um, yeah, we also have questions from you. Uh, but first, a little bit of Jay's news before we go Hall of Fame crazy. Um, by the way, this, this is probably going to be like a two-part episode we've decided because it's big and we don't want you to have to download a massive file. So, you know, if you enjoy part one, look for part two. Okay. Jay's news. We start with uh, Edwin Encarnacion. Yeah, former Blue Jay. The, the, the not quite Jay's news. <laughs> In former Blue Jay's news. Um, you said people should probably not be too happy if Edwin signs, as you reminded me, for a three-year deal that's pretty cheap. And then he signed for a three-year deal that's pretty cheap. And people shouldn't be happy. <laughs> I mean, look, there are a lot of, bunch of reasons why this happened. With the, There was a whole piece that Shai Davidi wrote about the timeline and how things got screwed up. But what it didn't mention, and what seems to be glossed over, is when it came down to even just right when he signed, if he was going to sign for three years, 60 million, the Jays should have absolutely been in on that. Yeah. I don't care if they already have Steve Pierce and Kendrick, Kendrick Morales. Do not do it. Pierce, Pierce. <laughs> <laughs> he did it for me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't care. Like put Pierce in the outfield for that money. Edwin, I can essentially still be a blue Jay. Well, honestly, you're right. You're absolutely right. Because for that kind of money, you can sort out Justin Smoke and Kendris Morales and whatever before spring training is over. 
Like, it's it's not like you you couldn't work something out where you got some value for one of those guys, even if you move them off the team, or or you just bite the bullet on smoke. I mean, you obviously can't do it on Morales because you just signed him to a three year deal. But yeah, there, there were, I don't know. I, I I think like someone in the front office figured that the the ship had sailed, and that was the end of that at some point. Just want to get it. How can you figure that the ship has sailed? He hasn't signed, and you. If you just ask Paul Kinzer, he'll like, he'll go on the radio and tell you <laughs> this is the kind of offers we're getting. <laughs> um, I don't know. I still feel like Paul Kinzer might have been part of the problem there. <laughs> I do. Yeah, but I mean, it sounds like the Jays just stopped trying once they got yeah. Pierce. I mean, they're saying, yeah, it'd be really hard. Now, why? Why would it be really hard? Yeah, you you can you can. You've had dumber situations over which to find playing time when you carried Smoke, Encarnacion, and Colabello for four months. Yeah. Yeah, we'll so, figure that out. Uh, anyway. So, Not you want, No, bad. What you're going to do? Nothing, because it's over now. Uh, Jose Bautista is not over. Jose Bautista... The latest rumor, I'm not sure. Do you want me to touch on the Phillies rumor first? Or That's do you- not a real rumor. That was <laughs> that was just people saying that he makes sense because they're waiting. There wasn't actually a rumor. It was a good Photoshop, though. It's like a cardboard <laughs> cutout of Bautista in front of a picture of some street in Philadelphia. Um, <laughs> it wasn't even a cardboard cutout. It was just a picture of him that was Photoshopped <laughs> in uniform. <laughs> spotted in philadelphia i said that should have been his booster juice cut out like if you really wanted to sell that you put him in the booster juice uniform um okay so the real tell us the real rumor well it's just that he's apparently now willing to take a one-year deal it's i mean apparently it has to be over the qualifying offer or something like that which i don't see the jays doing but if he's willing to sign for one year he should be a blue jay again why the heck not He's he's a legend around here, and he's a good player. In one year, what? There are no one, bad one-year contracts, haven't we said that before somewhere? I believe I've heard that. Um, yeah, it's just it's Jose Bautista. The guy fills the need. We need outfielders, and he's Jose Bautista. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's didn't... no long-term crippling. It's just be you a know, one-year deal, and then you go find someone else next year. Yep, and. You're not really, I mean, okay, you're giving up the draft pick. But isn't everybody giving up the draft pick at this point? The only time you don't get the draft pick is if Jose signs after June 1st, right? Yeah, and then John Morosi is making noise about that. Oh, no, no, sorry, Steve Phillips. Uh, It's not happening. (laughs) Jose Batista is going to be on a team on opening day. You heard it here first, folks. Well, actually, you probably heard it somewhere else, but you heard it here. Yeah, I think it's safe bet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I have a feeling Jose Bautista is is not in Ian Desmond territory, is he? Is he one of the people who had to wait until the season started to sign? No, it was just Kendrick Morales, oddly enough, just and the- Stephen Drew. <laughs> it's the circle of life, <laughs> of draft life. All right, and lastly but not leastly, we have the long-term news about Aaron Sanchez because it really doesn't affect anything the Blue Jays do this year. But Aaron Sanchez has uh, employed Boras Corp. Uh, the Jays finally have a Boras client. Yeah, that was kind of a backdoor way to get one too. Well, they did last year. You don't they remember? Did? 
the excellent Franklin Morales is a Boris oh, Yeah, right. <laughs> I forgot about that. We even <laughs> talked about that. How it was the first one since like Brad Wilkerson. Worked out so well. <laughs> oh, hopefully this one works out a little six, better. Six innings? Four? Yeah. Hmm. It was a special train wreck of a comeback. But yeah, I mean, like you said, this is not a short-term issue. It's a long-term one just because Boras tends to take his guys to free agency. So, you know, Aaron Sanchez is around for four more years, most likely. And he'll be 28 when he's a free agent. So there's no reason to assign an extension before that because he will get paid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Entered the league early, performed well. Um, yeah. The, the only reason a guy would do that is because he thinks he's going to blow up for some reason before like Steven Strasburg did. Hey, what do you know? And uh, did he not? Who signed the extension with Boris? Someone was it Strasburg they brought up? Yeah, yeah. Who'd already blown up once? And then he got hurt again. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, if you want, if you, if you want to bet on Aaron Sanchez being injury prone, then I guess you can get that extension you hope for. But yeah, that, when you when you start yeah. hearing extension talks with Boras, you know <laughs> Aaron Sanchez is hurting. <laughs> like. Uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't, I guess. Is, is yeah. that all we really had happen on the Blue Jays front? Yeah, it's been horrible. <laughs> Nothing's happening. Yeah, n- nothing positive. Nothing that we can hang our hat on, really. Um, all those holes we talked about last podcast are still there. Wow, that's awesome. It's fantastic. So we're going to leave the Blue Jays behind now for a little bit because there are no Blue Jays on the Hall of Fame ballot this year. But that doesn't mean it's not an interesting ballot. Uh, well, it, technically, Fred McGriff's on there, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, is McGriff on the list of... I, ha- I haven't looked at him on the tracker. Is he officially eliminated from this year's selection? Let me check. Yes, he is. He cannot be elected this year. Um, that is from, which we will get into later, the uh, Hall of Fame Tracker website, uh, which we're going to give you. Because if you're into this, it is the coolest place to keep up on everything happening with the Hall of Fame. But first, we are going to talk to the man who tries to uh, capture everything going on in the Hall of Fame every year uh, with his JAWS system. It is Jay Jaffe of SI.com. And we are going to come back with him right after this little break. And we would like to welcome back to the program, Jay Jaffe of SI.com. Jay, how you doing? Hey, not bad. Uh, just trying to survive the uh, uh, flood of uh, Hall of Fame season as usual. I'm dealing uh, not only with uh, the the analysis of all the candidates this year, all 34 of them, but also uh, working on uh, changes for my book, the Cooperstown Casebook, which is uh, coming out in June, and uh, adapting to fatherhood as well. So we've got a four-month uh, uh, baby girl here at home to uh, – uh, to juggle with my wife going back to work. So it's all uh, a little chaotic here, but, but uh, a lot of fun. Uh, we will try and stay focused, and I'm sure you're a Hall of Fame <laughs> father. Um, <laughs> all right. So I guess for those who are not familiar, we should start with uh, your articles every year um, are based on something you came up with called the JAWS standard. Um, just give a, a quick overview of what that standard is and, and how you came up with it. Sure. What what JAWS is, it's the Jaffe Wins Above Replacement System, uh, it, Jaffe Wins Above Replacement Score. It is um, a system that I developed starting back in two, the 2004 uh, election cycle uh, using advanced statistics, namely Wins Above Replacement, to compare each 
candidate on the ballot to the players at his position who are already in the Hall of Fame. Uh, to do that, I use career wins above replacement, uh, a peak total, which I define as a player's best seven years, uh, and I average those two for the Jaws, the, the, which is a, just a, a score. Um, and uh, I call that average the standard. Uh, basically, the idea is we're looking for players on the ballot who are uh, who would at least uh, maintain the standards of the Hall of Fame, if not elevate them, rather than... Uh, uh, lower them. We're, we're not looking for you know the worst candidates here. We're looking for the best candidates here. We want the ones who who improve the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, and and right now we're in a historic time here where we've got uh, you know as many or more uh, who than uh, who could fit on a ballot uh, available for for election here. So uh, we've had a flood of candidates in recent years. Uh, Jaws is the is the basis of my system, but you know there there are things that, that wins above replacement doesn't capture, uh, doesn't capture postseason stuff, uh, doesn't capture historical importance. Uh, it only goes so far in accounting for uh, the high scoring offenses that we saw and, and whether PEDs are involved and how you feel about that. Obviously, has a big uh, impact on how you view some of these candidates. Uh, so you know it's a basically it's a good first cut system, and then uh, you know we rely on. Uh, uh, history and, and your own uh, uh, logic in, in order to get it down to uh, a manageable number of candidates to vote for. Hey, just uh, a fun note, actually, on, on your Jaws system. On, on Primetime Sports, which is a radio show here in Toronto, I, I, have you been on it before? I'm actually not sure. Um, I have been on many Toronto radio shows. I honestly don't remember uh uh, Bob exactly McCowan. What I have and haven't done. It's somebody gives me a number. Somebody says I'll call me at four o'clock. I'm I'm saying I'm there. So um, <laughs> well, don't worry about sports with Sportsnet in particular. Okay. Well, yeah, it is it is the Sportsnet primetime radio show. But okay. just a few weeks ago, they were actually discussing the concept of the hall, and one of the hosts said, "Well, wouldn't it be great if there was a statistic that just sort of measured whether someone was worthy of going into the Hall of Fame?" <laughs> <laughs> and then if someone, there was a call-in segment and someone called in and said, yes, it already exists. <laughs> Jay Jaffe, Jaws. Nice. nice. That's funny. Yeah, I, you know, look, I don't pretend that Jaws, that Jaws is, should, should be the final answer. It's not a binary yes, no. no. Um, there are always things that you want to take into account. But, you know, it's a tool and it's like any tool. It's, just, it's only as good as, as uh, the hands of the user that it's in. Yeah, and actually on that note, in terms of the hands of the user – how much are you finding that people are using your JAWS system in their actual balloting? Obviously, you don't get a vote for another four years. So, I mean, it's in baseball reference. Have you been finding that people come yeah, to you and ask you? No, there are some very big name writers who, who mention my stuff and, and who use my stuff, and, and I'm very proud of that. Um, and, you know, I can see, you know, just based on the voting patterns that, that uh, the candidates that I have been uh, – advocating for for the last several years are the ones who, who have really seen their their totals rise over the last few years i don't know if it's directly because of me you know anybody looking at wins above replacement i think is going to draw some of those conclusions but i'm gratified uh that um candidates that i've endorsed such as tim raines and edgar martinez and 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 mike messina uh you know have have pulled out of the mire of of down ballot uh uh, obscurity to to put make themselves uh, or to become strong candidates here uh, stronger as time goes by and hopefully trending towards election here eventually if not this year so yeah I, I, there are real there are real voters using this stuff uh, I don't have a, an exact count but I know that 
just based on the number of uh, people, the, no the number of people who reference it in columns uh, is m more than 10% of the electorate, at least. That's that's pretty cool. Um, so if if Jaws itself were to have a ballot, I, I know you might not have this in front of you, but do you know that the ten players who would be on that ballot this year? Yes, yes, I do, I do. Um, it, uh, do you want me to read them off? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Okay, it's uh, actually let me get this page up here. I have it uh, have it all on on one convenient baseball reference page. Obviously, uh, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, uh, Jeff Bagwell, Tim Raines. Uh, Mike Messina, Kurt Schilling, uh, Edgar Martinez, uh, Larry Walker, and Manny Ramirez are the 10. That should be 10. Um, now, in my, oh, and uh, Yvonne Rodriguez. Yeah, we missed him somewhere there. Um, <laughs> so, he came right behind Manny on your list. So. Yeah. Um, so those are the 10. Now, if I had a ballot here, I don't think I would vote for Manny at this juncture. Uh because of the two positive tests, I you know I think that you know voters are, how how individual voter uh, feels about PEDs is you know there's as many different opinions as there are uh, uh, you know sands on the beach here, but uh, I'm of the opinion that you can you should draw a line between what came before testing when there were no rules being enforced and what came after testing, uh, and to me you know when if to vote for Manny Ramirez when there are guys who can't get uh, into the Hall of Fame for PED allegations that that we don't have positive tests for, you know, the whisper campaigns, the uh, the stuff that happened when 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 the game wasn't wasn't self-regulating. You know, I, I don't I just don't think it's fair to, to that Manny should be taking one of those spots, even though he is, you know, one of the best hitters I've ever seen. So, um, you know, he's somebody who, who I have reservations about voting for now. Uh, it'd be very interesting to see how he fares in the first year of his candidacy. It's just sort of you know, on the topic of this, the steroids guys and and just characters that the players that have all these other things beyond their stats. What what is your view on the way the numbers have sort of been shifting for for guys that aren't on that list, like Larry Walker and you know, and Edgar Martinez? Is it a surprise to you that it took this long for these guys to start seeing an uptick in their numbers? A little, a little, but you know, we've had such a flood of candidates, uh, of qualified candidates over the last few years. I mean, we've seen nine people voted in in the last three years. That's a, that's that that is a flood we have not seen in about sixty years. Um, you know, and, and the ballots are as crowded as ever. I I have a uh, account here where you know this year we we said there are ten guys who meet the who meet the Jaws standard of their position. Well, in two thousand. 13 there were also 10 2014 there were 14 of them uh 2015 there were 12 2016 uh there were 11 so there had never been in the modern era of voting which goes back to 1966 when uh the the writers started returned to voting annually instead of every two or three years um we had never seen that many uh candidates uh, who scored that well in Jaws. And we've had an average now, I guess it's uh, uh, an average of just over 11 over the last five years. So, um, you know, it's that's a lot uh, of resistance, you know, a lot of competition for somebody like Larry Walker or uh, Edgar Martinez to overcome. And now that they are, you know, plausibly one of the 10 best candidates on the ballot instead of one of the 15 best candidates on the ballot or whatever, uh, it's easier for them to get that love. So I, I guess... 
philosophically, if, if we're trying to get a hall that represents the very best of, of, of baseball players, um, and we're in this spot where, where there's this glut that's been created by just a, a combination of, like you said, a historical amount of players who are very, very good, and a ballot that has these limitations on it, and an electorate that historically doesn't like electing a lot of people. You combine all these things. What is success? Is success for the hall ultimately a change in the rules, or is it just um change you know enshrining maybe three or four people every year instead of like one guy per year yeah i think it's i think it's it's getting two to three two or three guys in every year i'd love to see four um but it's really it's it's in a sustained march of of, let's just say an average of about uh three guys a year over over uh, an extended period of time to clear this backlog um because it's it has become so backlogged um you look at the historical representation. Uh, there's a there, really the last 40 years are, are fairly underrepresented in the Hall of Fame. You know there are um, 15 to 20 guys missing from the post 1993 era, uh, based on historical standards, just based on what the writers have voted in. Forget the Veterans Committee, uh, relative to like on a per team per year basis, uh, relative to previous eras. You know there should be about another 15 guys in the Hall of Fame at a minimum. Uh, relative to to those eras, so you know we should be seeing these marches of guys. We're not going to get a rules change. I was on a committee uh, for the, with the BBWA a couple years ago. We tried to get them to uh, upgrade it to twelve spots on the ballot. They tabled that motion. Um, they're not budging on seventy five percent. They're not. They they've truncated the 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 number of years of eligibility uh, from fifteen years to ten. Um, you know, so there's. Uh, uh, we're not going to see rules changes that I think that are that are going to uh, have an impact on this. It's up to the writers to get it right more than ever, and, and, and I'm grateful that you know my system has has helped uh, to recognize some of these guys uh, and start the line moving again uh, back from you know in 2013 when nobody got in. Now, I imagine the the new rule about revealing ballots should help at least get a better understanding of where certain voting sects are coming from. What are, your, what are your thoughts on that process where they now everyone starting in the next year's ballot, not this one, will, will have to make their ballots public? I think transparency has been great for this process. I think you 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 look at the the ballot tracking effort by by Ryan Thibodeau and, and uh, uh, we've learned a whole lot about voters and and voting patterns. And, uh, um, you know, as we've seen uh, more and more voters, you know, Willingly publish their ballots either before or after election. I think we've learned a lot, and I think you know last year seventy percent of the ballots were published, you know by by you know either before or after the election. I think that was very informative. We're going to get it up to one hundred percent eventually here, like with that, with that rule change. I bet we could see eighty percent this year, or at least seventy five percent. You know, I think uh, accountability is good. Transparency is good. Um, you know, there is some belief that there is a bit of a a a, a you know some pressure to vote for these guys, and and the the fact that social media uh, is maybe not the uh, most uh, elegant place to debate <laughs> uh, differences of opinions. Uh, unfortunately, I think has some side effects in this. There are people who just don't like this, don't like being, you know, they feel like they're forced to conform, uh, you know, because they have to put their name on the ballots and because they have to. Uh, withstand the barrage of, of why didn't you vote for this guy stuff. Um, you know that maybe there's there's some kind of uh, um, streamlining of the vote, but I I don't know I, I I don't weep for the day when 
when people would waste stray votes on David Eckstein or whatever, and you know, or, or and anonymously, uh, you know, things like that, and, and and then some, you know, somebody, some good candidates like Kenny Lofton would fall off the ballot with receiving less than five percent. I mean, that's still happening. We're going to lose like Jorge Posada off the ballot. He's going to be five percented. Um, you know, Billy Wagner might be in danger of it if not this year, the next year if Trevor Hoffman doesn't get in because there's only so much space for relievers on these ballots. Um, you know, so I, I think that the transparency thing has been good. I think we're we're seeing much more focus on the top 15 guys on the ballot than we were before, and it's it's less scattershot. And I think that's good because we're seeing upward pressure. Get these guys in, get them off the ballot. Let's move on to the next guy and, and start recognizing these guys for you know in a, in a, from a very imperfect era. So ultimately, there has been uh, the topic brought up about that pressure on the writers and and the idea that uh, just as you don't necessarily ask a player what the best uh, strategy in a given situation is, maybe the writers aren't the best guys to be asking that that scholars who actually follow the game would be better picked to voting on something that is is so representative of the game as a whole do, do you buy that argument as a, as a place well, to go I, you know I, I do to a certain extent i think that there should be i, I would like to see there be a be a, a a faction of let's just say learn you know learned scholars uh get to participate in the vote but here's the thing i mean this is the hall's ball game they impact they empowered the writers uh the veteran writers 10 years uh in the bbwa uh, to handle this for them back in 1936. They've never deviated from that. Even if you were to come up with a panel uh, of, let's just say, Sabre scholars, let's call them, um, you know, you're not, it's not going to be 500 people or 400 people to equal the weight of the of the, of the writers. Uh, and they're not going to get to do it immediately. Um, these are people, you know, they, they've put in 10 years at a minimum, uh, 10 consecutive years at a minimum at affiliated outlets. Many of them it's taken even longer to get that vote. Um, you know, so to just grant the franchise to somebody else overnight or to, is not something that I think is is going to go over well. Um, I think as a long term project, yes, I you know I think it would be nice to see, you know, some saber scholars, maybe some broadcasters, other elements in this. You know, maybe you've got, but <laughs> you're not expanding the franchise by that much when you're doing it. And I, you know, I think we could theorize, you know, till, you know. Till till twenty one seventeen, uh, if there's a better way to do it, the the Hall of Fame is not going to change its way of doing things by and large. It's a very conservative institution. Um, you know, you're better off trying to start another Hall of Fame uh, and get it right the second time <laughs> uh, than to <laughs> than to expect uh, the Hall of Fame, which is very happy with the way things are going, more or less, uh, to to suddenly change. And I say that somebody who spent ten, who spent you know almost fifteen years you know hoping for change and try and, and trying to implement change. There's there's only so much that can be done. It's you know it's uh, uh, you're dealing with some you know some very powerful uh, immovable objects here. <laughs> well, <laughs> taking it from now, the, like you mentioned, it, powerful, immovable, not changing to the theoretical. You're writing this book, which you referenced earlier, the Cooperstown case book coming out in June. You know, it, the idea is players who should be in and who should be out. Now, were there specific players that really that you 
drove you to look into and write a book like that? Or was it more based on your system, your JAWS system? It, it, it's it's based on, you know, a decade and a half of studying this stuff and, you know, wondering what the hell is Chick Hafey doing in the Hall of Fame or, or all these <laughs> other uh, short career guys from the 1930s who, you know, hit 320 for five years and, and were friends with Fra- friends with Frankie Frisch and got in. And why is that? Um, you know, and and why isn't Ron? Why did it take Ron Santos so long to get in? And what happened to Ted Simmons? It's all these questions that I accumulated over the course of several years, uh, trying to figure out an answer, uh, and to get to get a better systematic understanding of the institution and the voting processes. Um, you know, and as as uh, I was doing this from two, the 2004 cycle through the 2012 cycle at Baseball Prospectus, which, you know, as you guys know, is uh, uh, it's got some limitations with regards to paywall and reach. Um, and then when I moved over to baseball uh, to, to Sports Illustrated and I started, uh, I switched from BP's metrics to Baseball References uh, version of War, uh, and got Sean Foreman to to put uh, uh, Jaws on every player page. Uh, suddenly, you know, there was a lot more uh, interest in it, a lot more visibility for it. Being on MLB Network didn't didn't hurt either. Um, you know, and then somebody asked me if I wanted to do a book, and I'd had uh, an idea for a book for years, um, but you know, I had, that had been sitting on the back burner because I didn't have the audience, a big enough audience, to merit doing a book then, and I didn't have nearly the, the number of answers that I have now, having gotten to be in the BBWAA to understand how this process works, to spend more time researching and asking people. Uh, questions about how it works, and, and uh, uh, so this is the culmination of that. And it's, it, you know, it's uh, some coverage of, of uh, uh, the top candidates who are outside the Hall of Fame. Uh, some looks at these various quirks in the system, like the Veterans Committee and, and uh, uh, the representation issues that, that I've talked about here. Uh, and then just a quick breeze through everybody who's in the Hall of Fame uh, for their playing careers. I didn't I didn't go into uh, managers or executives or, or, or Negro League players, I'm, you know, which I, I wish I had the room to do it as it is. I'm cutting 25 percent of the copy that I that I wrote for the book uh, frantically. Uh, that's, for <laughs> just the, to that's for the players. second book now. Yeah, that's that. That would be book two, maybe. Um, you know, just to just to cover what, what's what's in the Hall of Fame here is uh, uh, difficult enough. But um, you know, it's I'm I'm very excited about this book. I'm uh, hoping that uh, uh, that one of these uh, high profile writers who sung my praises uh, will do the forward of it, um, and uh, maybe uh, uh, the plan is basically that it's, this will be out in June. I'll be able to take it up to induction day. Uh, ceremonies and uh, hopefully celebrate Tim Raines' election, Jeff Bagwell's election, whoever else is getting in as well, and to hawk some books up there and, uh, um, you know, that it'll be successful and I'll get to do another one. And hey, folks, if that appeals to you, uh, Jay's book is already available for pre-order on Amazon.com. How was that? Yes, that it good? is. <laughs> yes, it is. And uh, we're going to figure out some fun promotions for for people who who do order to do pre order it. Uh, uh, some fun giveaways and things like that. Well, thank you very much, Jay. They can find you on Twitter at J A Y underscore J A F F E J Jaffe. Two words. Of course, uh, at si dot com. And you write SI. many miles of column every year. <laughs> Yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, sir. And uh, all the best getting the book edited down. Thank you. And Thank you. good luck with the fatherhood. Thank you. Thanks. Good talking to you guys. Happy New Year. You too. Thanks. Happy New Year.
we are back. That was uh, a whole lot to take in, I think, but uh, pretty cool stuff. Yeah, the jaw system is really neat. You know, it, it attempts to distill a player's overall contribution with their peak, which is something that nothing else has ever done. And it, yeah, and it, it reflects on, uh, you know, trying to figure out what they were doing in the past to seemingly come to that, those conclusions with obviously taking out the uh, I was a drinking buddy of this guy on the committee people. Um, <laughs> fun fact, of all the names in the Hall of Fame, only about half have been inducted by the writers. Did you know that? Yeah, the Veterans Committee went nuts. So you get all these players from like the 20s and 30s that are garbage that are in the Hall of Fame. But also, the, the writers have never inducted um, anyone from the Negro Leagues, right? So, uh, and they don't vote on any executives. That's so it true. sort of makes sense that they can't really induct everybody. But the writers seem to be really, really obsessed with, for the like the 60s and 70s, not letting anybody into the Hall of Fame, which just, it's a total head scratcher for me. Well, actually, the the uh, 1990s and the 2000s are the least represented era of the Hall of Fame. 80s, 90s, and 2000s, so uh, ever. Yeah, I, I don't get the 80s thing either. I just, this mindset got in that you should only put, like, three guys on your ballot, even if there were really good players. I don't know. Very strange. Um, so in That's that a light, good segue to our first question from Razorblade. Our first question uh, from Razorblade, as you said, does address the, uh, I didn't do that intentionally, the three-person ballot. <laughs> yeah, it's, I probably could have sent you just Steve Marcus. Hopefully I'm not just picking small hall guys. Who has the worst ballot? Now, he sent two ballots. One from Steve Marcus, which listed Vladimir Guerrero and, jo and Trevor Hoffman. And the other one, which was three, from Mark Kreidler, which was Vladimir Guerrero, Trevor Hoffman, and Tim Raines. No, Jeff Bagwell on the, the, the Reigns and Hoffman ballot, not Vlad, unless he sent a third ballot. He did. He sent three ballots. He, oh. There's more pictures. That's right. Yes, Bob Padecki. I couldn't read that one. Jeff Bagwell, Trevor Hoffman, and Tim Reigns. Yeah. Um, they're, all, they're all equally bad. I'm sorry. I can't. I can't. I can't express how annoying it is to see a ballot like that. <laughs> like, I literally don't know what to say. Do, do you, I try do you, not to get ahead. too crazed over the quote-unquote bad ballots, which these are, because it's just like, you know, they come every year. And in part two, we had a talk with Ben Lindbergh, and he expresses the same kind of sentiment, but these are bad. I yeah. mean, especially, okay, so the Steve Marcus one, which he says he didn't want to, he said he could have just sent us that one. Just Vladimir Guerrero and Trevor Hoffman. I don't, I don't understand how you even get to that. No, I don't either. It, it's, is, it, is it the dartboard method with an incredibly small dartboard or uh, unfamiliarity with the game of darts? Or, <laughs> like, <laughs> what is it that would make you say, okay, there are 34 names on the ballot. Um, I mean, it, it can't be name recognition, uh, because you certainly recognize a lot of the names. Uh, you want to cross off all the guys who potentially had, um, steroid, before, yeah, steroid or wh whatever whispers. Okay. That eliminates a whole bunch of guys. Uh, but if you voted Kurt for Trevor, jerk, can't have him. Yeah. Okay. I guess. But if you took Trevor Hoffman, you put him on the ballot. 
the only reasoning I could see is that when he he retired, he was the all-time saves leader, and he was a dominant closer. That would be my candidacy for Trevor Hoffman, right? Which means Lee Smith should be on there. Exactly. That's, <laughs> that's exactly what Lee Smith was when he retired. Okay, so you... Fine. Okay, Vlad Guerrero. Like, is the, is the justification I only enjoy bad ball hitters with incredible throwing arms and he's the only guy who fits the bill? Those are the only people who should populate the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's just really surprising. And like I said, like, look, people have the right to vote however they want to vote. You know, I mean, that they've earned it. They've been covering the game for a long time. And now that all the people who don't cover the game are out, there's some expectation these people are still doing it. It's just baffling. It's like, okay, Trevor Hoffman, but where's Mike Mussina? I mean, what, what can you have against him or Edgar Martinez? If you Kaufman's a specialist as a reliever, how can you not have a specialist as a DH? Yeah, and I mean, you cannot be looking at super elite um, performances here because neither neither Hoffman or Vlad was the super elite player. So in that regard, uh, we'll move to our other question, which is not on my screen right now because I'm a genius. <laughs> <laughs> it is from uh, Rocker Big D at I Want McMuffins. Sometimes I just love reading the Twitter names. <laughs> so he says, "Blow it up, start from scratch." How would you structure Hall of Fame admission? Oh, you feel this one first. Um, I I think first of all, you there's a lot of things to do differently. Um. One of which is you don't necessarily have writers and uh, not writers. Sorry, writers are never really in the Hall of Fame, despite what they say. Uh, you don't have players and executives and builders and owners or whatever all in the same hall, per se. I think you do players only. Second of all, uh, I think you get a lot more clear about what rules should be in play for someone to be in or out of the Hall of Fame. If it's straight statistics, great, it's straight statistics. If it's more focused on, if you want to be focused on what they did, you know, in the playoffs, then specifically state that. The rules are way too vague. Uh, and I think you do let things change from year to year with some direction year to year. And I certainly don't think you put a limit on the number of people someone can select on the ballot. Once you found the criteria, you let people vote for as many people as they want to. Should the writers be part of the voting contingent? Absolutely. Should they be all of the voting contingent? No. That's some things I would do. What about you? Well, I think you covered most of it there. But I think the biggest thing is, I think that clarity from the Hall of Fame on steroids guys would clear up so much. It's like, if, if I mean, as you've said, the fact that they're on the ballot should be clarity enough. But if the Hall comes out and says, we don't care or we absolutely care the issue's done mm -hmm. but they won't do that well it's almost like at the moment there's not even anybody to ask like the ballot comes out of this mysterious photocopier from 1993 <laughs> and it, it it's i don't know it, at this point it could be typed out on a dot matrix printer i have no idea how they get these things out there and um, I, I know the Hall of Fame has a president, et cetera, et cetera. But, but this process seems unnecessarily shrouded in mystery. And somehow Javier Vasquez wasn't on it. Right. 
and that's what I alluded to, um, I believe with Jay, if not, I'll allude to it later, like magic, um, <laughs> that the, the, the hall includes people and omits people at the fringes. People we know are not going to get 75% of the ballot, but they meet the played mostly full-time for 10 years. It's, it's, it's right in Ryan Tibbs' um, Twitter Ryan API. Uh, Thibodeau. Sorry, it's at not Mr. Tibbs. It gets stuck in my head. Um, Ryan Thibodeau's, who does the Hall of Fame tracker, which we highly, highly recommend. Again. And we will link to on the podcast post, both parts one and two, because it's amazing. Yep, and, and it will tell you every possible mathematical permutation of any player, what you're curious about, and goes back into previous years. It's awesome. Um, but as he's he's got on his Twitter AVI, it, it says, if you play 10 years, you'll probably get on the ballot. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> That's... That seems a bit vague when you're when you're considering, you know, the mo- the highest honor you can be bestowed in this. This the sport. best part is the is the little fine print though. I haven't. It even says yes, it. I know. Javier Vasquez isn't on the ballot. That's why I said usually. <laughs> um, that's hardly the first omission, you know, and no. and the idea of guys dropping off, uh, you know because they don't meet the 5% requirement because of some weirdness is also something that, you know, again, I don't think it would happen if people were allowed to vote as, for as many people as wanted to. Um, well, if they, if they were allowed to vote as many people as they wanted, it wouldn't be necessary. Yeah. People would just stick around until they got zero votes. That would be my feeling, right? As, as soon as you get zero, then you're off the ballot. You stick around until nobody thinks you should be there. So like Darren Erstad would last for an extra vote. Yeah, but th- again, since there's no ten limit maximum or ten person, bleh, ten vote maximum per person, it doesn't matter how big the ballot is in any given year, except that maybe they'd have to pay for a second sheet of paper. Which again, yeah. I don't know what the budget is because <laughs> it doesn't seem very high. That you have to actually mail in your ballot. Hey, one of our part two interviews, Sam Mellinger loves it. I guess, man. Some people love the Model T Ford. It's uh. <laughs> It's got its nostalgic qualities to it. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, anything else we want to touch on before we uh, send this one off and head out to part two? No, I think that's good. All People right. can t- tune in for part two tomorrow. 